Our guest speaker today is someone who definitely has a heart for missions, both local and abroad, and is uh, familiar with serving in both those contexts. Uh, Mr. Dave Childs from ABC is currently serving as Vice President for Student Services. Is that correct? All right. And uh, former missionary to Cyprus. Thank you for being with us, Dave, and we appreciate uh, what you're going to share with us. Thank, Thank you. you. Yep. It is a blessing to be here, and our uh, family has benefited from the ministry of Faith Baptist for years. It goes back about 20 years. It was the school year of 1997-98 when we were asked to come and teach at Appalachian Bible College as missionaries in residence. We were on deputation going to Cyprus and uh, taught at the school and attended Faith on the weekends when we were not out on deputation. And uh, enjoyed very much the ministry of Pastor Halsey. We weren't in this building. We were down uh, on the lower campus. Um, but enjoyed uh, many of you that I now see and remember uh, ministering to our family. Our kids were much little. I, my daughter, our oldest daughter, Katie, is sitting there with my wife, Linda. And uh, our other three children are married. Um, but uh, thank you, uh, Faith, for your ministry. You took us on as missionaries when we went to Cyprus, where we ministered, as I said, to the international community that spoke English on the island. We had about um, people from uh, about 20 countries uh, that came to our Nicosia Bible Chapel uh, from uh, Philippines and Jordan and Armenia and England, uh, about 13 African countries, And so it was just a tremendous opportunity for us uh, ministering there. For the last 11 years, we've been at Appalachian Bible College administering and teaching and uh, look forward to more years serving there. I see a number of our students. Uh, uh, We'll see if they heckle me or cheer me on, you know, and uh, we'll watch for that. Uh, I want to talk to have you turn, if you will, in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Uh, with the, the world seemingly crumbling around the church, uh, and certainly in American culture, uh, many of us remember fonder years when the ministry of the church was more readily received. Um, there is no greater time for ministry than now, as the society around us is struggling. Uh, now is the time for the church to shine very brightly. And I want to talk to you this morning a little bit about the ministry of God's Word to a culture that is not receptive. And that's not just America. When we look at the world scene, uh, we see that places where Christianity has gone, uh, sometimes there are great harvests being reaped, and there are other times when the church is oppressed and uh, persecuted, and the ministry of the Word of God Uh, is rejected. And so this morning, I want to give us some encouragement to see what the Word of God says about the ministry of the world in a hostile environment. And uh, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, we're going to to see some of that. The world is in great need of a dose of reality. Uh, They're believing a lot of lies, uh, a lot of the things that you as a Bible believer hear. probably make you shake your head and say, how can people follow those teachings, believe those things, live by those principles? God says they don't work. 
their failures. God says to do it this way, and it seems like everybody else is finding some other way to live than by what God says. And so a good dose of reality would help. Reality is not easy to spot sometimes. The truth is not always evident. Uh, Recently, uh, I bought my wife a, a necklace for a significant birthday that she had. She's not 30, I'll tell you that much. But uh, though she looks it, uh, but I remember it reminded me of a story, a true story. I get, you know, my favorite place for stories is Reader's Digest. Do you like that? A lady wrote in and said she, she went into uh, the post office and uh, the postmaster at the, the counter there, uh, the lady looked at her and was looking at her new earrings that her husband had just bought her. And then she made the comment, she said, uh, those are real diamonds, aren't they? He says, well, yes. He said, how could you tell? She says, well, nobody would buy fake diamonds that small. <laughs> uh, so sometimes you can tell the real uh, in different ways. Um, but let's talk about uh, reality and, and culture and in our world today. Um, certainly God's word, truth... Uh, is not well received in, in many elements of our culture. Uh, you, if you've been watching any news, you remember things such as uh, uh, TV personality Joy Behar and her comments about our vice president, Mike Pence, uh, how she said he maybe has mental illness because he hears from God, and, and then the guffaw from all of that. And, and that's kind of representative of how easily people in our society will reject God and his word as having any relevance. You go to our college campuses, our public universities, and even, sadly, the private universities, and, and the antagonism toward God's word and toward God's message, even, even just conservative speakers that represent a little bit of biblical principle, um, they are not allowed on campus to speak. If they are brought on campus, they are protested against, public displays, shouted down in their speeches. Why? Because there is no place for God's word, God's perspective in many people's lives uh, today in our society. You can just imagine if you were going to run for public office, let's say, and you made public statements that were in agreement with God's principles, how you would be received. If you were making a public statement as a, a person running for office that the, the world was created in six days only a few thousand years ago, how would you be viewed? Or if you made the statement that human life has more value than animal life or even plant life, how in many segments you'd be viewed. Or to state that premarital sex is sin, or any sex outside of marriage is sin, how you would be viewed. Or to state certainly that homosexuality is unnatural and an offense against God. You never get away with something like that. Or what if you stated that God's word is the final authority even over federal and state law, you see. And, and so you begin to sense the antagonism in our society. If you really wanted 
really wanted to raise a ruckus, state this biblical principle. Wives, submit to your husbands. And then duck. Uh, I would hope that, you know, husbands loving their wives wouldn't be controversial, but you know what? In our climate today, even a statement like that would sound sexist, chauvinistic, and uh, be reacted against as if wives need the love of their husbands. Women don't need men for anything, right? Isn't that the atmosphere? You're scared to say anything that has any similarity with biblical truth. It's not that men can't be submissive themselves. In fact, in Ephesians, before he says, wives, submit to your husbands, what does he say? To everyone, he says, submitting to one another. Men can submit. Another Reader's Digest. Uh, a lady who was a nurse, she, said, she remembered back when she was a nurse intern, she went up to a, a, a room with the wheelchair, you know, to wheel the patient out, because that's hospital policy. So she goes in the room, and there sits a man, fully dressed, a uh, little suitcase at his feet, sitting on the bed, and she uh, offered the wheelchair. He made it clear. He said, I, I really don't need the wheelchair. Uh, I'm fine. I can walk out. She gave him the long story about hospital policy and all that. So finally, he okay. And he sits in the wheelchair. She's wheeling him out. They go down the elevator. They're almost to the front door. She says, is your wife going to meet us? He says, I don't know. He said, we left her upstairs in the bathroom changing out of her hospital gown. <laughs> <clears throat> so men can be submissive. Uh, Let's look at what... I've lost you. Let's let's look at how people think about what God says. Does anybody care about what God says anymore? Does it matter? And let me ask it this way. Does the Word of God have any relevance or impact or meaning for people who reject it? Should we even try? So again, now that we're in 2 Timothy chapter 2, let's look at, uh, I'm going to take you to verse 8 once I get there. Uh, Our context here, the whole book of 2 Timothy, has to do with ministry in a hostile environment, ministry in a time of suffering, ministry during hardship. And specifically in chapter 2, he begins by talking about getting grace, passing it on, and then living a life that's effective, Uh, living a life that's focused like a soldier, that has integrity like an athlete that's living within the rules, competing within the rules, and a life that has goals like a farmer who's going to partake of his crop. Those are the first seven verses, and I'm going to read verses 8 through 10 for our text this morning. And he starts by saying, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory." Paul is writing this letter after about 30 years of ministry. He's now in prison for the second time. Uh, first time about six, seven years earlier in Rome. Uh, you remember he, he wrote letters uh, like the book of Philippians. Uh, but this time, 
Uh, He's not going to get released. He's going to be martyred, and he knows it. He's preparing the church for his leaving, because that'll be a significant event for the church when leadership passes on like this. Maybe even preparing them for Peter's death. They died around the same time, both executed probably in Rome there. And uh, so he's, he's preparing the church for, for his departure. He has spent his life ministering the word. That's what his life has been. He's taken it to the major cities of the known world then, from Antioch to Ephesus to Athens to Rome. And what has it gotten him? Prison, beheading, death. Was it worth it? What's Paul's perspective on the viability of the Word of God in this kind of a hostile environment in which the church existed at this time? Well, we're going to see his perspective and what he says about it. And what he says is, the Word of God is not bound. And I want to emphasize that phrase this morning in our message. The Word of God is not bound bound, limited, hindered in any way. God's message can't be stopped. Reminds me of Jeremiah 23. Is not my word like a fire and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? God's word is powerful, and Paul's perspective is exactly that. And so he talks about, in uh, verse 8 there, and in verse 9, he talks about the gospel. He calls it my gospel. And he had said in the book of Romans, when he's describing the gospel, uh, in Romans 1.16, that the, the gospel is what? The power of God unto salvation. In Isaiah 55, in the Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah uh, speaks for the Lord when the Lord says, So shall my word be that goeth forth from my mouth. It shall not come back to me empty or void. It's going to accomplish what I want. It will do what I send it out to do. God's word is not bound. It can't be made ineffective. It can't be rendered useless. It is powerful. And he speaks in our passage here that Paul said, I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they may obtain salvation. God's word will bring people to salvation. Lord willing, it did it for you. Some of you were hard cases. God's word wasn't bound. It reached your heart. It opened you to God's spirit to change you, to bring you eternal life as you yielded to Christ, believed that what he did on the cross was enough to save you, and you trusted in that, and you were saved. God's word wasn't hindered from reaching you. And God's word is going to go out, and it is going to reap a harvest How big of a harvest? Well, we know Jesus made the comment about the the narrow gate and the narrow way and the broad way, implying it seems that more will not follow God's path to salvation, but still there will be a great harvest. So we look at the end at the book of Revelation, chapters 5 and 7, both tell us that God is going to bring to him a harvest out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. There will not be a people group on this planet that will not have somebody in heaven. Isn't that exciting? Satan wants to take every group on this earth and keep it from hearing the gospel, responding to the gospel, fulfilling God's design and desire, 
But God says, I am going to reach into every group on this planet that Satan is holding. I'm going to go to the strong man, Satan, and I'm going to bind him, and I'm going to ravage his house, and I'm going to take out of it for me a people for my name. The word of God is not bound. It's not hindered, and God will accomplish what he wants to do. That's the end of the story. I'm a Michigan fan. I was tempted to wear a Michigan hat and tell them, I said, this is just a prop. Never use it, but let, wear it the whole time, you know, but I decided not to. But anyway, I, I went to bed early last night. I was, you know, needed a good rest. I was going to preach this morning at a very important church. Uh, and so... Um, I didn't watch the game, but some of you, did you watch the Michigan game? Anybody here watch the Michigan game? Nobody. Oh, thank you. God bless you. You will be in heaven, okay? <laughs> Apparently, they won on a last minute, last second, three-point desperation shot, okay? One by one point. And uh, so I got up this morning not knowing... I saw an email from my son in Seattle who said, I emailed you instead of texting because of the hour, but wow, what a shot. So I go, oh, that's encouraging, you know. And so certainly I go to the news, and sure enough, they won. Uh, and, And so now if I can, and I might be able to, I'll try, if I can go back and find, uh, you know, a video of the game and watch it, I'm not going to be worried frustrated. My heart rate will be fine. No heart attacks, no blood pressure issues, right? I'm going to just be, I'm going to enjoy the whole thing right to the end. Even when this looks like, you know, a guy apparently, you know, he misses a layup to tie the game. And and that just seemed to seal Michigan's defeat. And then to get the desperation win. It's like, I'm not going to worry. I'm going to watch them miss that one shot. And I'll go, <laughs> just wait, you know, and uh, boom. And, and you know, that's the way it is with God's word. We know the end of the story. And so while we're, as this book is context is, while we're suffering hardship in ministry, while ministry seems to be going badly, while things aren't looking good for the church, and here we sit, Comfortable, warm, nice soft seats. I hope you understand, almost every Sunday in Nigeria, churches are attacked with AK-47s and Christians are murdered regularly by Muslims that come into the village churches. Nigeria, Sudan, North Korea. Saudi Arabia, still executing Christians. China. On we could go. More martyrs in this last century than all the other centuries of Christianity combined. They estimate there will be, a, uh, as I calculated, 150 Christians will die this week. Okay? And in a context of when ministry is hard... And it doesn't look successful. And we wonder, is God really accomplishing what he wants? We know the end of the story. Yes. Why? Because the word of God isn't bound. So notice what Paul's saying here. In our context here in verse 8, he says, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, from the offspring of David, has preached in my gospel 
for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. And so as he makes that grand statement, the word of God is not bound, he says it while he is bound in prison, about to die. And the contrast is stark. And that's how he wanted it. Look at me. Man has been able to capture me, tie me up, chain me down. But you know what? The word of God isn't bound. I'm bound, but not God's word. And so he's saying, guess what? The word of God is not hindered by your circumstance. It wasn't hindered by Paul's circumstance. And it's not hindered by your circumstance. Interestingly, in fact... Before, when Paul was in prison, he made the statement in Philippians 1. He said, guess what, guys? They threw me in prison, and all it did was it expanded the ministry of the gospel. So that now all the imperial guard and all those in other places around me have heard the gospel of Christ. They threw him in prison to silence him, and all they did was give him a new audience. And he ministered to the guards. And they were imperial guards who had contact with the upper echelons of Roman society. And we do know from history, the upper echelons of Roman society were penetrated with the gospel. We also know in the first three centuries of the church, there were tremendous movements of the gospel among the Roman soldiers. So much so that some of our great stories of martyrdom come from Roman soldiers, who sometimes as en masse, as whole groups, would announce that they were Christians and in that moment have to give their lives immediately. So Paul said, the word of God isn't bound. I'm bound, but not the word. The word of God can't be bound by putting its messengers in prison. It's not bound by prison. It wasn't in Paul's day. It reminds me too of uh, the great story of Siberia. Siberia, a vast wasteland until they found out there's a lot of resources up here, mining, timber, oil, So the Russians government began to transport people up there, especially prisoners. They took prisoners, sent them up there, and used them for labor forces up there until whole communities began to develop, pretty big populace. Christians in Russia said, we want to reach the people in Siberia. How can we do that? The communists took over the country. Guess what they began to do? They began to arrest the pastors for preaching the gospel, and they shipped them by train to where? Siberia. And uh, the gospel began to go amongst the prison community, amongst those areas. Churches were planted, and the gospel came to Siberia. And the Christians rejoiced and said, God answered our prayer, and he used the government to pay for it. (laughs) Some of you um, probably have heard this story. Billy Graham died recently about his casket. On the outside of his casket, there are three names burnt into the woods, just a simple wood casket. They were the builders of his casket. They are prisoners. The three men that built his casket were prisoners at the Louisiana State Penitentiary, called Angola for short. It's a very famous prison. It was the largest state prison and the most violent in all of America 20 years ago. Until in 1995, they got a new warden. Burl Cain came in. And he brought in, he was a, he was a born-again Southern Baptist, he brought in what he termed moral rehabilitation teaching. It was really Bible studies. He linked up with 
New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary to actually have seminary courses in the prison. This is a prison of, at that time, 5,000 inmates. Now it's closer to seven. Most of them were lifers. They'll die in prison, hence the casket building, uh, because they buried them right there. Uh, The moral rehabilitation took effect. Over the next few years, things began to change. People began to get saved. Eventually, they would have almost 300 graduate from the seminary training. They today have 28 churches in the prison, pastored by prisoners who went through that training, who are never going to get out, but they pastor inmate churches. They estimate 50% of the prisoners in that complex are believers. It has gone from the most violent prison in America to the safest In fact, they say you go there, and I I believe our president went there, uh, Dr. Anderson. You cannot recognize it as a prison. Uh, By the way, other states took notice, and that's why in West Virginia, the state of West Virginia asked Appalachian Bible College to start a Bible college in their biggest correctional center. Mount Olive Bible College now exists in the Mount Olive Correctional Center and is beginning to do the same thing. And and just another year, we're going to have our first set of graduates from our four-year program. God's word is not bound by prison. God's word wasn't bound by Paul's past. There he is announcing God's word is unleashed and look at who he is. He announced himself that he was a blasphemer, a murderer, and the chiefest of sinners. And he was. But that didn't hinder him ministering the word of God because the word of God is not bound by your circumstances and by your past. And some of you have a past. And you may wonder if you can do anything for God. The word of God isn't bound by your past. You can still be a minister of the word of God. You can still take it to people that need it. As it has reached you, it can reach them. And whatever your past is, allow the word of God, which is not hindered, bound in any way by you and your past, to go through you to others. It's not bound by your weaknesses, by your lack of talent. See, I can't do anything for God. I have no talent. Wonderful. God will give you a spiritual gift. There you go. Maybe the gift of helps. Just try helping people. You know, you can do that. Try showing kindness to people with the gift of mercy. You can do that. There's something you can do. Just start going to your neighbor and loving on them, especially your lost neighbor. Love on them. And you'll find God using you in ministry because the word of God isn't hindered by your past. It's not hindered by your weaknesses, you see. I'm so glad for that. And by the way, the word of God is not hindered by other people's lies. Paul is in prison, and the text tells us, he says, I am in prison Bound with chains as a criminal. The word literally is as an evildoer. Paul wasn't an evildoer. And he wasn't a criminal. But somebody lied about him in Jerusalem. And they arrested him. And now he's in Rome in prison having to defend himself. People lied about him. But you know what? That didn't hinder the word of God. People are going to lie about you. They're going to try to hinder your ministry. Make you out to be something you're not. Don't worry about that. Just serve with integrity. 
Let God worry about your reputation. You say, but what if, what if people abandon me and don't like me and won't have anything to do with me? Leave that to God. There's a whole book in the Bible about suffering wrongfully when people say the wrong thing about you. First Peter. And it just tells you, just commit the keeping of your soul to him that judges rightly. Okay? And so the word of God isn't bound by Paul's circumstance or by yours. But how is it that Paul can have such confidence? I mean, anybody can say that. The word of God isn't bound. But how can he say that? And so let's look now at verse 8, at how Paul can know for sure the word of God is so powerful. Notice what he says. Remember Jesus Christ. And now he's going to say two things about Jesus Christ. Two things that just put the stamp on the fact that you can believe God's word. Two things. And he announces here in our passage, he said, remember Jesus Christ. And what are those two things? Risen from the dead and the offspring of David. Let me take the second one first. The offspring of David. Here's what God did. Way at the beginning, he sort of started making this announcement for everyone, including Satan, to hear. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send my son. He's going to be from the seed of a woman, Genesis 3.15, from the seed of Abraham, Genesis 15, from the seed of Judah, Genesis 49, and from the seed of David, 2 Samuel 7. You can see him coming. I'm not going to hide him. I'm telling you now, here he comes. Just try to stop him. And Satan tried. He tried by not letting him be born in the first place by destroying the human race. Cain killing Abel was the beginning of the fratricide Satan wanted to just take over the human race. Didn't happen. He still tries to disrupt things so that the line of David couldn't have a child eventually. And it got to the place in 2 Kings when it got down to one infant, where the line of David was reduced, the royal line was reduced to one infant child because the queen mother, Athaliah, had killed all the others. And here's this one little baby. How vulnerable is God's promise when it's in the life of an infant? But the infant grew up and had children, and the line continued. Herod, when Jesus was finally born, Satan said, okay, if he got born, but I'm going to kill him. And Herod tried to kill all the babies to kill Jesus. Didn't work, did it? Satan saw it coming. Satan tried to stop it, and he couldn't. And notice how significant this is when Paul in Romans 1 announces the gospel. Here's what he says as he announces the gospel. Paul says he's set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures concerning his son. And what's the first thing he says about him? Who was descended from David, according to the flesh. By the way, the next thing he says is declared to be the son of God with power by the resurrection, those two things. He's from David, and he's going to rise from the dead. And so in Luke, 30, in, in Luke uh, chapter 2, when he announces, the angels announced to Mary about the coming of the Messiah, notice what they said. He'll be great. He'll be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. Why? Because that's so important. 
That was the key. Notice, if you will, at the end of the Bible, Revelation 22, Jesus is speaking his last words, what he says. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. And here's the last thing he says about himself. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright and morning star. Why? Because that was so key. God says, you want to know if my word is going to be effective? Look at what I said about the Messiah coming from David. And I gave Satan and all his minions all that time to try to stop it, and they could not. Second thing he said about him is actually the first, the second one we'll deal with. He was raised from the dead. That means he beat sin. Death's only here because of sin, right? Romans 5.12. And on numerous occasions, Jesus announced his resurrection, but nothing could stop it. I can guarantee Satan and all the demons on the planet sat on that stone, and they couldn't stop it. Ephesians 1 In fact, I want you to turn to this passage. Turn to Ephesians 1, verses 19 to 22. I want you to see how significant is the resurrection as far as a display of God's power to remind us that God's word is not hindered, not bound. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19. He says, And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. And so he talks about his power, but not just his power, his great power, not just the great power, but the immeasurably great power is displayed by the raising of Christ from the dead. He then seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority, and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet, gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that fills all in all. What's he saying? I announced I was going to raise my son from the dead, and they couldn't stop it. And now I've raised him, and I've seated him so that he is the authority over everyone and everything. Dear friend, Jesus Christ has full authority over America. He has full authority over American institutions and universities. Do you believe that? He has full authority over North Korea and Kim Jong-un. He has full authority over Vladimir Putin. He has full authority over everyone. He does. He was raised from the dead, and today he sits in power, and his word is not bound. It is not hindered. It will go into all the world and reap a harvest. And dear friend, you can be a part of that. Faith promise, prayers, maybe you will be the next missionary to go. But you will be a part of that. And so I trust that you will believe that the word of God is not bound. And because of that, you can believe these words. I am the resurrection and the life. 
And he that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. For some of you, that's a very important word right now. I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That's a very important word right now for Christians in Kenya and Nigeria and North Korea. Or how about this? These things have I spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. For some of you, you need that word. So do you believe the word of God is not bound? Can you believe that? God said it, and it is absolutely true, and it infuses missions with life and energy. John and Charles Wesley, brothers, the preacher, the hymn writer, uh, had a great relationship. John Wesley talked about uh, one time his, his brother made the statement, if God gave me wings, I would fly to show his trust in God. John Wesley retorted, if God asked me to fly, I'd trust him for the wings. Trust God for the wings to do what he asks you to do. Heavenly Father, thank you that the word of God is not bound, that you sit on the throne and you reign. And I thank you that the work of missions, though resisted, oppressed, persecuted, will advance and accomplish your purposes in your time. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.